stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Comics Catch-Up. This is the show where we... 
catch up on comics that we might have missed in the past, fill in some gaps in our reading. I'm Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? I'm okay, Chris. You sound a little down, buddy. Everybody's going to be mad at me again. You sent me a message earlier today, prior uh-huh. to recording this sure episode of Comics Catch-Up, in which you said, and I quote, I, I even have a timestamp on it, Chris Sims, 3.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, man, I think I hate this comic. Yeah. And, like, that's true, is the problem. The comic we are talking about is the six-issue miniseries. Well, in mid-1980s Marvel language, a six-issue limited series. Mm -hmm. Long shot. A... Nominally X-Men related book. Like, very vaguely X-Men related. I think somebody says mutant once in this. I mean, it's X-Men related because of Mojo. Because Longshot is from the Mojoverse. Yeah, but was was Mojo around before this? Yeah. A lot of characters do debut in this series. Uh, no. First appearance of Mojo, long shot number three, 1985. That's surprising. I definitely would have thought Mojo would have existed prior to this. Because there's a lot of, like, deep Mojoverse stuff in this book. And it starts in media res, where all the, like, Mojoverse lore gets explained throughout the series. So, bold. Bold to introduce Mojo in this book, but uh, it is the origin of Mojo, apparently. The origin of Longshot, obviously. It's the first appearance of Spiral, who you surely know from Marvel vs. Capcom. Mm-hmm. It, she does, in fact, at, at one point in this story, take someone for a ride. <laughs> It's true. Glad uh, that one got you. I I am very curious about. I mean, we'll get more into it as we talk more about the book. Uh, but very curious about how the th- relationship between Mojo and Spiral developed, uh, because it's 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 not your typical. Um, boss and employee or slave is the yeah. word i think but, but, it, but it's it's not what you think of when you think of that kind of relationship it's it's unusual matt do you know the origin of spiral that we get much later uh please uh regale me i can't believe you didn't know this cuz i I kept waiting for this to happen in this series or for it to be at least hinted at in this series. I'm, I don't think it was spiral is ricochet Rita in the future. Uh huh. Right. In her future. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I knew that ricochet Rita also debuts in this series, uh, starts out as a stunt woman 
on a movie with extremely dubious ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but let's, before we get into like any more details about this series, this, uh, long shot series, let's, let's talk about the pedigree because this should check a lot of our boxes for something we would like, right? Everything because about this is something I should like. The writer of the series is Anne Nascenti, a show favorite. We talk about how much we like her all the time. Like One of the all-timers. Yeah. She she wrote about Daredevil writing a vacuum cleaner. Uh, not writing a vacuum cleaner. Fighting a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Art by Arthur Adams. Who the art. certainly has a different style in 1985. It's, it's not quite... It's I couldn't tell if it was different or if like there's like uh print reproduction issues because i first got to know art adams on like like late 90s books like mid to late 90s books which were on like glossier paper and had much better like color separation right everything's like the storytelling i don't think is really there at this point in art adams career there's there's some stuff missing for sure. I, I feel like this is the point where Art Adams like has a lot of the detail and polish. Although I think he also is clearly going for doing work that is like weirder and more angular and strange, which is very clear in the evolving designs of Pup, aka. Magog uh-huh. throughout the six issues because Magog gets weirder and weirder and more kind of asymmetrical and strange as the the book goes on. But yeah, there's definitely some storytelling stuff where you're like, what's happening? <laughs> and there are parts in here also where there are word balloons that aren't pointing to anybody and you're not necessarily sure who's talking. Yeah. Um, it's it's a mid '80s Marvel comic by Anderson and Art Adams with an obscure X Men character. Yeah, uh, that is also like a prestige ish six issue limited series. Nineteen eighty five. I could definitely see some influences playing on this series, like. I would be shocked to learn that Miracle Man didn't have some influence on this book. It's it's got some some reaching toward Alan Moore in it. It's funny that you say that, Matt, because I saw a huge influence. That, again, also sounds like something that I should like. I told you very early in my reading, I was like, this comic reads like Innocenti playing telephone with Jack Kirby. Oh, yeah. But by the end of it, I realized what was giving me that feeling. This is Innocenti and Art Adams doing Mr. Miracle. It's funny that you said Miracle Man, because it's – Longshot is Scott Free and Ricochet Rita is Barda. And it well, really became apparent when fucking Mojo shows up and they get on the glory boat and ride through the multiverse. 
Yeah, that's true. I, so you're talking about story content. I'm talking about story content, yeah. I'm talking about story structure. Mm, okay. I, I don't think Longshot is a simil- similar character to Miracle Man. But I think the way that the story is told in here, in a sort of not 100% straightforward sort of way, in a more kind of like obtuse, the reader learns about things as the character does, because the character has memory loss <clears throat> kind of deal, that definitely struck me as as being Miracle Man-ish. The Alan Moore Miracle Man. And, and this would have been, you know pretty a pretty decent chunk into the more miracle man run which started in 1982 um although eclipse didn't start publishing those stories until august of 85 so i could be totally wrong there 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 could be no influence there at all maybe innocenti was getting her hands on Issues of Warrior from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Look, were you surprised that that Chris Claremont knew about the Derby Pair in the, in the mid eighties? Because I was. Obviously, they're professionals in this field. They're probably more likely to get their hands on rare and harder to find books than the average reader. Mm-hmm. It could be a totally unrelated connection that I'm making, but I I couldn't help but think of Miracle Man as I read this. I also couldn't help but think of a book that came out after, uh, which is Marvel Boy. Yeah, which another, uh, which you know Morrison, which is another book that like takes a weirdo from another universe and plops them in the Marvel universe and everything gets weird and heightened. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I don't know if Morrison was thinking about Longshot when they were writing Marvel Boy, but uh, I, I couldn't help but make the connection there either. I would not be surprised by that. I would be a little surprised if Nocenti and Adams were like specifically thinking of Mr. Miracle. Uh, Cause I think it's just like, it, it, it's very much the same feeling. But yeah, when I said, when I said telephone with Jack Kirby, you said Morrison. And, and what I thought was like, yeah, it's like Kirby phones Morrison and then they get on the ham radio with Nocenti. And then we get then we get long shot. And Matt, everybody's gonna be mad at me because I know people like long shot and I know people like this book. And I <laughs> did, certainly did not care for it. I'm sorry. Did 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 two dogs need to get killed in this book? I don't think so. And so a cat. I knew that that might be your key bone of contention. It was kind of I, my breaking point. I don't love that part. I have to say, like, we don't need to prove that Mojo's a bad guy for him to show up and kill a bunch of pets. 
all of all of uh, Rita's pets. But I'll tell you what got me. The fucking Please. bird lived. Well, does it? Don't all the animals end up coming back to life by the end of I it? I don't think so. Because Mo- Mojo gets banished, and then like Doctor Strange is standing there with all the pets. Let me let me verify this because I think all the animals are alive again by the end. Much like Rita dies a near death and is brought back. From from the uh, prison of her own mind? Yes, from, from a silent scream. A, a scream beyond sound. As we're saying that, that definitely sounds like some Jack Kirby shit, don't it? Yeah. It, again, it absolutely sounds like something I would like. Everything about that. A, a and it's in the Art Adams, Kirby-esque, mid-80s kind of experimental Marvel comic with a, a weird new character in it. Hell yes. Nine times out of ten. I would love that shit. And yet, here we are. Matt, there are no animals on that last page. There's just a fucking bird. Which I guess is an animal, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I've... Perhaps I just... uh, The dog's name was Saxophone, which was very good. And I wrote down, I like this dog named Saxophone in my notes as I was reading. And the fucking dog got killed by Mojo. Fuck this book, man. I'm sorry. It's not for me. It's not for me. I I think reading it... Like so... Look... You know, the same thing happened with Excalibur, where reading a Marvel comic that was trying to do a particular thing in 1985 is a very different experience in 2022 than it would have been in 1985, or even with during the time when we would have been catching up on these books and say the late nineties. I mean, on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, it's not like we don't like mid eighties Marvel comics, you know? No, we have been reading a bunch of Captain America. Yeah. It's which to be fair is as, as straight up a superhero book as you are going to get. It is, it is toe to tip. That is a superhero comic. There is what, not this, really a lot that's experimental about it in terms of form. Well, I guess the only thing that's experimental about it, which made people mad at the time, but we know that it all works out in the end, is Captain America, or Steve Rogers not being Captain America anymore. Which is very kind of like run-of-the-mill superhero comics now. Not so much in the mid to late 80s, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, but it's, I mean, it's, even it's, then, like they had already had Rhodey as Iron Man, and I feel like there were some other legacy replacements before that too. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think that Captain America book was taking more risks for the time than we might give it credit for now. That said. It's not taking the kind of risks this book is, which is clearly trying to push the envelope within the context of a mid-80s Marvel comic by doing 
nonlinear storytelling. You talked about like the storytelling not totally being there for Art Adams at this point, which I would tend to agree. But also I feel like some of the storytelling in this series is kind of like intentionally obtuse. Or intentionally like meant to not give every, give the reader everything. Yeah, and, and I mean, to Art Adams' credit, this certainly doesn't look like John Byrne. You know, it doesn't. Th- there's nothing Salbusema. There's nothing Marvel House style about this book. Not in no, writing. Not anything, in art. It's. It doesn't look like anything else on the stands at the time from a major publisher. If anything, it's very ahead of its time and presages what is going to be how comics look for the next decade. Matt, can I stop you for a moment? Yeah. Is it presages? Have I been saying presages for like, is that one of those words that I only ever read and have never heard out loud until just now? It is, it is pronounced presage. Yes. Like message. Like message, but with only I one S. Like pre, pre, presage, like a sage is. Uh, I, I think presage is an acceptable pronunciation. But the first pronunciation in the dictionary is presage. Folks, don't listen to me. I don't know anything. <laughs> the, well, presage is usually saying it's like an omen of a bad thing. That's not necessarily what I mean. It is predictive, let's say. Of yeah, I, do, I will agree that it's ahead of its time. What, how art would look in, in comics uh, for the next decade. Because look at some of this, like... I, like I talk about, like this is not how Art Adams's art would look necessarily later in his career, which I think is true. But you know what it does look like? It looks like Rolf Portacio, who made mm-hmm. a lot of this miniseries, and Rob Liefeld and some Jim Lee stuff that would become the most popular superstar comics art. Of the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, like, I don't think Art Adams gets yeah. enough credit for being kind of like the first one of those guys. Because he wasn't one of like the big image guys. He went to Dark Horse and did Angel and the Ape. Everybody's got such long legs. The first thing I noticed when Spider-Man showed up in this book is like, Spider-Man legs long. Yeah. And that's like, like every- this, this is like years before Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, all of those artists who became like the superstars, it seems like they were clearly influenced by Art Adams and the work that was done on this book. Yeah. I would be very surprised. I've never heard any of those dudes talk about it. I, I will say if Wills Portacio was the one who inked this, I think that might be my problem with the art. Perhaps. I mean, I I, th- I would agree that some of the storytelling, as you mentioned, is is not quite there. I'd be very curious to see the pencils because I mean, you've you've seen Art Adams pencils; they're like super tight. Yeah. So I would be curious to see the difference in the pencils and the inks. I didn't care for it, Matt. So beyond the the oh, the bad guys are bad. Because of that, they killed some animals stuff. Was there anything else that you found particularly off-putting or upsetting? Everyone talks 
like a complete wild person, uh, which I will say is another point in its favor of being uh, very Kirby-ish. I wrote down this line, and look, this is not a line that I dislike. Uh, this is Longshot talking about what's been good about coming to Earth. No, this is, I'm sorry, this is Ricochet Rita, who is from Earth, saying this. I got to meet someone more ride rocket wild than me. That is a Jack Kirby-ass sentence. You know, it it may not be too wild to think that Nocenti came into this believing that it would be like Marvel's version of Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. It explains a lot of the mojo stuff. Because mm-hmm. I've thought for sure that the mojo stuff was already established in, and in place before this book came out. Yeah, and Mojo kind of feels like a New Gods villain. Exactly. Because Mojo's from another dimension and rules that dimension. And the the main difference between Mojo and Darkseid is that Mojo's a fucking doofus. Yeah. But, you know, he he uses suffering for entertainment. You know, he, he makes TV, but it's all the violence is real. And that's like a very fourth world ass idea you know that's that's something glorious godfrey would do it's the 80s version of a fourth world idea yeah yeah you know it's it's the smash tv or the running man version yeah there you go very much so the fourth world but but like you know talking about push this series trying to push the envelope and i think maybe it pushes too far at times but in addition to the storytelling being a little obtuse and and strange, there's also the slavery part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Longshot is a slave who leads a rebellion against the slavers who were led by Mojo. You know, like Hyman from from the Fourth World, and. Uh, you know the way that slavery is talked about and introduced and discussed like we find out that longshot and all the other slaves from the mojo verse are like genetically built and created to be slaves for mojo for his entertainment and that doesn't read the same way like look if you're you know reading this in 1985, the word slavery should maybe ring some bells. But like, you know, it it feels weird. The idea that like Longshot meets up with the conspiracy theorists, <laughs> uh, the, the survivalist militia conspiracy theorist, survivalist, yeah, the uh, uh, in the first issue who like helps him and becomes his kind of like guide to earth from the beginning. Uh, long shot a hundred percent is not vaxxed. Uh, yeah. If we were going to, yeah. we we're going to be like, Hey, which X-Men are vaxxed long shot a hundred percent does not want those five G microchips in his body. And it's, it's all because of, uh, the influence of Elliot. Yeah. From that first issue, 
But I mean, uh, but like more to my point, like Nascenti's dialogue is always like heavily stylized, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, yeah. Like in Daredevil, her dialogue is highly stylized. Here, it's off the rails. I think multiple people say, like multiple people from multiple dimensions say, "Hey, we're from the same side of the tracks." That's not a thing people say. That's <laughs> that's not how people talk. It's true. I I, I feel like again, it, maybe it's the Kirby of it all. Yeah, and I feel bad because like that's something that I do like kind of love about Kirby's work and I think it works there and I don't think it works here. Well, it's not only is the Mojo verse very heightened, but I feel like this version of Earth is very heightened. Yeah, like more heightened than the Marvel universe usually is, yeah, even. Way more. Way more heightened. Which like, this is a version of the Marvel universe. This is a version of Marvel Earth. Where the first thing Longshot does when he gets there, after meeting a survivalist conspiracy theorist, is to save a baby from the other mutant dog-like or creature-like slaves. I think they're called demons, specifically. From the Mojoverse, who came through the portal with him, uh, he saves a baby and gives it back to his constantly crying mother, uh, who never shows up again after that. Matt Wilson um, got no time for mothers to care about their babies. Look, it's. I'm just saying, like she's she's depicted as very very much a victim uh, the entire time. Yeah. Then in the second issue, the second issue is the wildest issue of the series to me because that's the issue where he meets Ricochet Rita, long shot, jumps on a train stumbles onto a movie set meets ricochet rita and a director a movie director who instead of hiring people to make stunts safe is just going to put stunt performers at great risk of dying his name is hitch because he's like hitchcock and when a uh, long shot who he hires as a stunt performer gets shot up by a bunch of lasers and almost dies. He's just like, Oh fuck the insurance. Yeah. What am um, I gonna so, do? He, so he just fucking dumps long shots body in like a swamp. Yeah. What are and we doing? Like you kind of want to see that director get his right. Yeah. He does not come back. He never shows up again. He is. That's a series wrap on hitch. The director. Uh, I'd sure like to see Hitch uh, get his comeuppance at some point. Uh, but that's that, to me, is the weirdest issue of the series. The way he just dumps Longshot in a swamp, and uh, that's the end of him. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in this book that's just, like, weird in that way. Well, like, issue three, let's, let's talk about issue three. All right, issue three... Me is one about how Con Edison, a real company, uh-huh. a, a for real, 100% existing corporate entity, a real public utility that provides electric power to the New York tri-state area. The Con Edison is hoarding diamonds for an experiment. To, for an experiment, like a weird experiment 
a guy who uh, hates his life and is mowed under by electricity bills, apparently. Yeah. Uh, the guy's name is Jinx. He's Jinx. the opposite of Longshot. Uh, here's what I wrote about this issue, Matt, in my notes. A lot of good suicide gags. He does an It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Where he goes to the bridge and tries to jump off, but then right as he's jumping off, he notices Longshot in the water and saves him instead of uh, killing himself. And Longshot's like, Con Ed is stealing from you? Well, let's steal from them. And so they break into a Con Ed facility and uh, take the diamonds, creating a huge blackout in New York City. Uh, and Longshot... During which he, people presumably die. <laughs> I mean, perhaps. Uh, but they're attacked by some of the demons. The demons, Most of the demons go back to the Mojoverse, except for Pup, a.k.a. Magog, who is getting more and more... Who's getting bigger and bigger, and also more and more hateful toward Longshot. Like the first time we see Magog, he acts like he's Longshot's friend, and even saves his life. Yeah, he saves Longshot's life from the other uh, demons. But then, as he gets bigger and bigger, and feasts on the magical power of Earth, uh, he becomes more and more bloodthirsty and wants to kill Longshot. Um. And then, like, Longshot, again, not knowing anything about the world, learns that Con Ed is just like a big company that charges people for electricity, and they're not thieves in a technical sense. Yeah, because the guy, the Jinx, who yeah. just goes back to his humdrum life after having his Longshot adventure where he breaks into Con Ed and steals a billion dollars worth of diamonds, uh, it's like, yeah, they charge us a lot of money for power. But it's their right too, and I'm like, Anne, Ms. Nascenti, I feel like the politics that I enjoy so much in your work are kind of all over the map here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just supposed to be Longshot, like, Longshot learning not to take everybody completely literally. Because Longshot is just a completely blank slate throughout this, right? Like. That's good he because takes you everything that again throughout the series. Takes everything at face value and never thinks that someone could be talking euphemistically or uh, artfully. Which I think is kind of our favorite character trait. <laughs> like the person who only takes things like super literally. I know that's like my I love it. It's uh, always a great source of comedy. Issue four is the obligatory fight She-Hulk and Spider-Man issue. Uh, Spider-Man got some long legs. And also we get a little more origin stuff. This is also the issue where Mojo uh, comes to Earth and kills all of Ricochet Rita's pets. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's not great. The, okay. I don't, look, I don't want to harp on this. Because it honestly was not like my biggest problem. I already didn't like the comic before the second dog got killed. The first time a dog gets killed, it's by the dudes who kidnapped a baby. It's by yeah. the the monsters the 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 monsters who kidnap a baby. They also kill the lady's dog when they kidnap the baby. And so, if the goal is for us to be like, "Oh, those are bad dudes," I think we got that when they kidnapped the baby. 
Fourth issue is also where Longshot meets a bunch of kids who are kind of like the Longshot kids. Yeah. <laughs> One of them looks just like Alfalfa. From, they're, they're uh, the Newsboy Legion. That's yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and at one point in the next issue, uh, Magog just like slaps the shit out of one of those kids. <laughs> Buddy, it's a weird one. There's a lot of shorthand throughout this series of here's why the bad guys are bad. They kill animals and hurt kids. Uh, and there's a big fight between uh, Longshot and Magog that ends with Quark, who is another opposite Longshot, uh-huh. showing up uh, to try to help Longshot after he just like runs away. Longshot, yeah, Longshot, just, Longshot just leaves those kids to their fate. He most assuredly does. What a great guy. Uh, this is when Doctor. Oh, this is also when Ricochet Reedy gets kidnapped and taken on a journey on the glory boat uh, that leaves her permanently, silently screaming. Longshot learns a little bit about his past. He meets his creator, Arise, which this part I think is interesting. The whole story of Arise, who is was another of Mojo's slaves, who was pressed into creating these genetically engineered people for Mojo and Arise built essentially like a planned obsolescence into all of these genetically modified or genetically engineered people to make Uh, them eventually rebel. For me, this was both the most fourth worldy and also, like, most interesting part of the book. Because, like, first of all, naming yeah. your dude who creates people Arise, that's a that's a straight-up Kirby move right there. And I respect it. Uh-huh. Uh, very much so. Um, this is also when Doctor Strange gets involved. <laughs> and- yeah, did you think this book was complicated already? Because Doctor Strange is here now. Uh, Doctor Strange ultimately gets rid of Magog. Um, Magog explodes. Magog eats too much magic and gets too big and explodes. Been there, but like he's Mr. Like he's Mr. Creosote. <laughs> and, that, uh, that is an influence I could buy. <laughs> I can I can see that one being in the rotation. And then finally, Longshot and Quark sort of final have their face to face meeting. Quark explains who he is, explains how he's stuck between the two dimensions of the Mojoverse and Earth. And uh, Quark is a downer. Quark's a real bummer. He he never thinks anything's going to go right. And again, he's there to be the opposite of Longshot, who always believes that they're going to succeed. Because the thing that I think is like not well explained, but that I always thought was like a cool aspect of Longshot as a character. If you don't know, his power is that he's incredibly lucky, but only when he is acting for the benefit of others, when he's acting selflessly and with purity of heart. Uh, That's not really explained in, in so many words in this, I think. It's 
it's that he has to have like like his motivation has to be pure i guess is what it's called and he has to be an optimist which i think is again that's pretty cool but that's not established until like the fourth issue of a six issue series i mean i think it is implicit in the first issue where he is named (laughs) the luck Uh, stuff is yeah the the having to do it on somebody else's behalf because that's why he gets so fucked up when he tries to be a stuntman right yeah, because he's doing it for personal gain. Like he's told, "Hey, you got to make money." Yeah, and he has this and, weird flashback to the. Yeah, and so he's doing that for personal gain, and so he doesn't have luck, and he gets zapped by a bunch of lasers. Um, he has other powers. Here's all his powers as listed by the Marvel database: Hollow bones. Uh, superhuman speed, superhuman agility, superhuman reflexes, superhuman stamina, regenerative healing factor, love which that. we see in issue three because he's basically factor. quickly healed. Um, superhuman attractiveness. Everyone is commenting on how hot he is all the time in this. Book. Everyone is mad horny for Longshot in this, which is a little surprising because he is rocking the wildest mullet comics have ever seen. Including like an eleven-year-old girl, which is uncomfortable every time it happens. I like uh, that was weirdly, I thought the most appropriate one because she's got like this weird crush on him. Yeah, I mean, sure, uh, but like, literally every character is like, "This dude's hot." Yeah, even even She Hulk's like, "This dude's hot." Uh, and you know, She Hulk, high standards. <laughs> uh, probability field manipulation uh, and psychometry. Uh, oh yeah, which means that he can leave psychic imprints, or he can read psychic imprints that people leave on objects, which he does do. I don't think he does it until the sixth issue, but he does. he does it. He does it relatively early because uh, he uses that to find the baby that got kidnapped. Right. I think, but like, yeah, but, that's also like a weird power that he has. That I don't know, man. He does it in the. I don't remember if it's issue five or six, but he does it in front of Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange says, oh, you can read psychic imprints. Uh, so that's how we know that he can do that. That he can read psychic um, imprints. Yes. So in the sixth issue, Mojo and Spiral, who have a very strange relationship, Mojo's a dummy, so Spiral has to tell him everything to do. Or, like, stop him from doing extremely harmful shit to himself. Yeah. It's such a strange relationship. Like, without Spiral, it's it's made abundantly clear that without Spiral, Mojo would never do anything. Or never accomplish anything. And Spiral, like, dresses him down all the time. Or, like, tells him he's stupid. Which, again, does not fit the typical enslaved person, slaver relationship no it's there's a lot of it's it's very weird it's we don't really like because there's a bit at the end where spirals like like mojo gets sucked into the portal and spirals like uh yeah it's actually like a pleasure to watch that dude float away but then she's like also i am going to go save him and it's like well could any of this be explained but why? <laughs> like, yeah, but why? If you, what? Like, For why, Spiral? Like, it seems like you could just be in charge, Spiral. Like, Does uh, 
on the first uh, page of uh, long shot number six, Mojo asks, now why are we on this murderously ugly dying planet? And Spiral replies, what a screw, Mojo. You can't keep a thought long before you turn it inside out. Because she like, clearly doesn't like him and thinks he's a dummy. What a screw. So why is she so loyal to him? That's what I don't understand. Bloody. I mean, look, I, it's an interesting relationship. I will give it that. Uh, but essentially in the in the sixth issue, after observing a lot of Earth uh, and the people on it, Mojo and Spiral take over a church, which becomes the kind of like, I don't know, tuning fork for all of Mojo's power. Longshot saves Ricochet Rita, works with Doctor Strange and Quark to give her her consciousness back and stop her from uh, screaming eternally. <laughs> Every time you say it, it's like the most wild part of this entire thing is that there is a like a part where a woman retreats into her body because of the horrors of the multiverse and screams so much that it goes beyond sound and she's stuck that way forever. Until she's not. Until she's not, yeah. Uh, Longshot and Quark dress up as cowboys and have a... Uh, they do dress up ex- as cowboys! I forgot that! They do. and ha- ha- Well, they wear cowboy hats and like weird coats. And they have like an existential discussion about optimism versus pessimism. And Quark, by the way, looks like a goat. And he's sure that everybody on Earth is going to hate him because he looks like a goat. But this is the Marvel Universe, so... I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a 50-50 shot. A lot of furry people on Earth in the Marvel Universe. Do you mean people with fur? I mean people with fur. Or do you mean... Okay. I I don't mean people of that uh, persuasion who wear costumes. Um, There are a lot of people who wear costumes in the Marvel Universe, Matt. Different kind of costumes. Okay. Fair enough. They have a fight with Mojo in a field that kind of just ends when Longshot decides he can't bring himself to kill Mojo. Also, Doctor Strange brings uh, Rita's bird back, but not the rest of her pets. You're right. It's just the bird. It's just the bird. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, man. Fuck birds. <laughs> <laughs> Now, one time on the show, you said fuck pets. As soon as you <laughs> have a bird, you'll change your tune. The, uh, anyway, they knock down Longshot and Quark, uh, knock down Mojo's big tower. After Longshot gets some more memories back after he sees a horse. Because uh-huh. it reminds him of his life. It, it, he does see a horse that reminds him of another horse he once knew. Mm-hmm. That is completely accurate to what happens. Uh, and they knock down the tower. Mojo gets sent through a portal. Spiral has to go in after him uh, to to help, even though I don't understand why. And they all go back to the Mojoverse. 
and Rita goes with him. So that's interesting. I guess she's eventually going to become Spiral. There is a moment. I don't know if the plan was for Rita to become Spiral later at this point. But uh, there is a part where Rita has Spiral at gunpoint and tells her, don't move or I'll shoot again. After she already shot her one time. And Spiral says, shut up, human. It's a pleasure to watch that bloat float away about Mojo. And then she thinks to herself, "That ch- this chick needs some dirt in her face. Then she throws dirt in her face. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the end. My feeling about this book is not that I hate it, but it is a mixed bag. Okay. So that can lead us into uh, our ranking portion. All right. I hated it. Okay, but you don't hate it like bottom of the list. I don't not hate it like bottom of the list. I mean, not like bottom, bottom, obviously not yeah. bottom, bottom yeah. list, but like, like look, I would rank I, it I, low. I don't mind ranking it in the part of our list where we're kind of like, this is a mixed bag or this is bad because I think it's a mixed bag and you think it's bad. I think there's a lot to like in this book and a lot to be desired in it. I do think you're absolutely right. If we could talk to Anne Nacenti today, I would love to know if she was inspired by the fourth world. I would be very curious to know like the thought process behind this book. Cause I imagine that is very interesting. That said, as it exists, Nothing anyone does or says in this book makes any sense, and I would have preferred to have not read it. <laughs> like, legit, I, I, it, I regret reading this. I don't regret reading this. I found it to be a very interesting reading experience, if not an entirely enjoyable one. It provoked a lot of thought in me, which I cannot say for a lot of the books that are at the very, very bottom of our list. I It, it provoked a lot of thoughts in me, too, but they were mostly of the why variety. <laughs> I here's, what, here's maybe the faintest praise I'll give this book, or, or the closest thing to praise I'll give it overall. I think it really was trying to do something and overreached. I think it's an overreach on story and i think it's an overreach on art i think it goes a little beyond art adams storytelling ability at this point which uh this was apparently art adams's first work from a major publisher i mean like it's in those terms it is you can tell art adams is gonna be great yeah from yeah yeah yeah. i i will give it that and i will not take that away from art adams like it is a undoubtedly wildly influential and like fantastic start for him is not good. I I think there's definitely like, like we said, like as far as storytelling goes, I think there's some part where the reach exceeded the grasp. And I think that's also true of the story as well. I think by trying to tell this story in such an ambitious way, where 
Longshot's history is meted out, and we find out about the Mojoverse and bits and bobs, and sort of some of the demands that this puts on a reader. Like, it's both very ambitious and far-reaching, and also takes shortcuts at the same time. Yeah, it is very rare that I say this, given my tastes. There's way too much going on here. There is just way too much happening in this book. Yeah. You know, that might be why it reminded me of Marvel Boy in some ways. Because I think the first time I read Marvel Boy, I felt overloaded. The same. I, I think that they have very similar vibes. Like, I can totally – Marvel Boy is the, what, 15 years later equivalent of this? Yeah. Like, easily. I think Marvel Boy is better. Same. <laughs> Hard same. Because it hangs together better. But it 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 mirrors this in many ways. And I think, you know, too much happening is – is the result of being overambitious. And personally, I'd rather something be overambitious than lazy or just like provocative for the sake of being provocative. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I think it, it's better than a lot of the stuff we have. Like certainly, You know, twelve hundred up, probably eleven fifty up. Well, let's see. Like this is overambitious and reaches beyond its grasp, but I don't think it's crass. It's not. If that makes sense, it's not. I don't think it's like cynical in the way so many of the books at the bottom of our list are. Yeah, there there is it's definitely trying to do something. It's trying to do something, and there is definitely craft here. Yeah. I think it's as bad as a book can get while still having craft. <laughs> right? Like, like I genuinely do. And like again, I regret reading it. At eleven fifty is Batman Bloodstorm. I do not regret reading Batman Bloodstorm. I do not regret reading Zero Hour. It's not good, but I don't feel like I wasted my time. I kind of feel like this was a waste of my time, Matt. All right. Well, if 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 that's the neighborhood we're looking at, eleven fifty two is Blackest Night, Blackest Night which I bad. do I do think Blackest Night. Blackest Night is good at telling the story it's going to tell, mm-hmm. and it does tell. But I also think Blackest Night has – that's a story that was written uh, with dollar signs in the eyes. Yeah, I would say there were financial considerations yeah. in the, uh, the making of it. I, mean, I, like, I don't know for sure. There's a, there's a little bit of cravenness in, in – Blackest Night. Well, I wish there was Craven in Blackest Night. Oh, man. Now, that would be a crossover. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's here. 
I don't think that's in long shot. I don't either. Although it would be a real surprise to find out that NSMD was like, yeah, we're going to create this dude named Longshot. This shit's going to get us money. <laughs> it's wild to think about where Longshot ended up. Uh, essentially, like, in the X-Men. Yeah. And, I don't know how that happened. And retconned to be, uh, like, his DNA. So he's not a mutant. Right. He was never a mutant. But his DNA is eventually revealed to have been based on Shatterstar. Who is also his son. Correct. Longshot is his own grandfather. Yes. That, I think, is Peter David nonsense. <laughs> Which you know I have no time for in my life. Yeah. Whew. I don't know, bud. Rough stuff. Well, okay, so... Who came up with the spiral is Ricochet Rita stuff, I wonder. No idea. I have no idea how that happened. I actually texted uh, Jay Edidin today while I was reading this. Basically the same text I sent you. Uh, I texted him, I'm reading Longshot for the first time, and I think I hate it. And Jay's response was, fair. <laughs> so I feel, I feel like I'm on the right track, at least. Sure. Uh, let's see. Spiral. Rita Wayward. Her name is Rita Wayward? Wayward with an O instead of an A. The story of how Rita became Spiral is a temporal paradox. What's cited there is Longshot 1 through 6, but that is not in this book. (laughs) It's definitely not in this book. Oh, I guess they're just like... I don't know. I'll figure this out uh, about how Rita became Spiral at some point. But Go with God, my friend. I I have to know. I'm I'm so curious because like I I'll be totally honest here. The Mojo stuff is not the is not stuff I know. Yeah, I'm not me either. Really, like he's not my dude. You know, I remember our buddy uh, Jim McGrath once saying that like. He likes the X-Men. Like He loves everything about the X-Men, except for the uh, one X-Men villain that always sucks, the Shadow King. <laughs> and I, uh, at the time, had just written a story <laughs> involving the Shadow King. Uh, but like, look, can't say he's wrong. Uh, I kind of feel that way about Mojo. Yeah. Uh, it would appear that uh, this may have... The spiral being Rita thing uh, may have come to light in X Factor Annual Number Seven. Well, uh, maybe a Nicieza joint. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you this for free. Not doing it. It's <laughs> gonna be it's gonna be a no for me, dog. So here's what I'm gonna say. My floor is Blackest Night. Yeah, I think that's look. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. There is nothing that is below, or there is nothing that is above Blackest Night that I regret reading. And I genuinely, this has, this has made me, I feel like less of a fan of NSNT and Art Adams. I mean, that's uh, a bummer. I don't think it has had that effect on me. Um, I'm not going to say I loved this book, but 
I appreciated its ambition, even <laughs> though I don't think it realized that ambition fully. That's my take on it. Uh, so are we putting it at the new number 1152 above Blackest Night? Yeah, I think th- I, I think that's where I would put it. All right. Long shot one through six. Enter to the list at the new number 1152. Everybody's going to be mad. Everybody's going to be mad at me. Well, look, if Jay Edidin said fair, then people shouldn't be mad. That's my new mechanical keyboard, everybody, by the way. Who knows more about this stuff than Jay Edidin? And can be the judge and can be the judge of whether you're right about the quality of or it enjoying your enjoyment of uh Longshot. My my takeaway from Longshot was not I loved it or I hated it, but what did you on? Uh, what did you want in there? Yeah, look, I've read at least uh, 1,290 comics. So I can tell you that one's a bad one. <laughs> All right, that is it for uh, Comics Catch-Up for January. Uh, please let us know what we should read in February. I went ahead and got some suggestions earlier uh, this month of stuff we should read. Uh, so we'll probably make a, a poll out of those things, but send us an email at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us a message on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Tweet at us at warrocketpod. Get on our, uh, our Discord server, which is uh, the War Rocket Ajax Discord server. You must be invited to participate there. Uh, so you can hit us up on one of those places I just mentioned for an invitation. Uh, all of those places are good places to tell us what we should read for future comics catch-ups. We're supported by all of our patrons on Patreon. They make sure that these shows are possible. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash warrocketajax. Every episode of our show is at warrocketajax.com. And WarRocketWiki.com is the fan repository of all things War Rocket Ajax. The every story ever can be located. Every story ever list can be located there. To find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my books, my comics, my social medias, and my other podcasts. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my old website. And while you are there, you can find links to everything that I write and record. And put online for your pleasure. Uh, Going to be working on a new uh, Castlemania coming up soon, which you can find at the War Rocket IGX Patreon. If you're a uh, Boko level Patreon backer, uh, not sure what it is yet, but I've got a couple in mind. I might finally get around to reviewing Metroid Dread. I don't know. I don't know. I'm too close to it. Too close. Mm, yeah. Give it a little time. Get some distance. I will never divorce my six foot three half bird cyborg wife. Same as Aaron. We'll be back next month with more comics. Catch up, everybody. Regular weekly episodes of War Rocket Ajax will start back uh, very soon with the Gordy Awards. So stick around for that. Uh, Until next time. Bye, everybody. Hey.
good catching up. 